Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. I'm excited to introduce you to my friend Justin Morgan. Justin is a songwriter, an artist, producer, uh, musician. He's just all around kind of does everything, which is why I like him a lot because he and I sort of fit in that same space of doing lots of different things to make a living in the music industry. So um, I met Justin because of another guest that has been on the show, Chad Segura, who is the vice president of Centricity Music Publishing here in town. And Justin is a songwriter. He's a staff writer for Centricity. And so Chad connected us initially. And so I got to sit down and have a conversation with Justin and learn more about him and what he has done in the music industry. He also owns a recording studio called Pearl Snap Studios, which does a lot of demo work here in town and for people all around the country and around the world, actually. So he works in country music, Christian music, pop music, TV and film, does a lot of that kind of stuff. So I'm excited for you to hear his story and how he's built his career over the years. And so get your pen and pad and get ready to take lots of notes. All right, guys, I am here with my new friend, Justin Morgan. How are you today, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Good. It is good to have you here. And we are hanging out at Centricity Music Publishing, and they've got a a condo, a writer condo kind of a thing down here in Franklin, Tennessee. And you and I, this is the first time to actually get to meet in person. We've talked a lot over email. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for coming and letting me spend some time with you and and hear your story. So the reason that we're getting to know each other is because of Chad Segura. Mm -hmm. And Chad is a friend of mine. We've, he's actually been a guest on the show. Perfect. (laughs) And he referred you to me. Okay. So you need to reach out to this guy because he kind of does everything that you're doing and everything that your podcast is talking about. He, he does kind of all that stuff together. So, and that you'd be a great guest. So, uh, I appreciate you taking time out to, um, to come and share your story yeah, with us. Man. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Uh, okay, so let's kind of just jump in. Where are you from originally, and what kind of got you into the music business yeah. as a kid? Or Yeah, man. Um, I'm from Texas. Okay. So, um, and, you know, people always ask me, you know, are you one of those Texans? And the answer is absolutely yes. I'm one of those Texans. <laughs> one of those. Most people know what that means. Um, I uh, I love Texas. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those guys, and... Um, quick story about that. When I was, I was in a band and we were touring in Florida, um, one time and it, you know, it's like 
2.30 a.m. at a Waffle House or something like that. And my whole band was from Texas. And we hear this lady across the restaurant kind of going, no, I'm telling you, Texans are so cocky. They love Texas. Like, <laughs> they never stop talking about it. And if, if anybody, you know, if you meet somebody from Texas, they're, they're going to let you know they're from Texas. And we all just started cheering. And she just like, see? she was like, see, look at this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, I mean, quintessentially, you know, I'm one of those Texans. I just really am. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm, that's where I'm from. Um my uh, my parents were both very musical, you know, growing up. My uh, They both were in the marching band, and then and it kind of taught me, you know, about lots of different genres of music kind of growing up. And, man, I just remember being in about the si- sixth or seventh grade and going, I'm going to start a band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this small town in Texas, um, there's not, a, not a, a really big talent pool there. I'm not talented at this point, you know, but, sure. but we're thinking, I'm going to start a band, you know, and... Um, I'd gotten really into, you know, in about the fourth grade, I'd gotten really into like Matchbox 20 and Third Eye Blind and some of those um, bands that honestly were were too old for me because uh, I was in the fourth grade. (laughs) Right. But I got really into it super early. And so, you know, none of my friends were really into it yet. They're playing G.I. Joe's and that kind of thing. And I'm like, dude, I just got this Oasis record. Let's go jam it. And they're like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) What that means. (laughs) Let's go play G.I. Joe's. And so I spent a lot of time by myself listening to Oasis records or, or whatever. And, um, but because of that, I just, I I remember, man, going on road trips with my parents and just dreaming about starting a band and playing shows and writing music. And, um, the whole time, you know, you had your little disc logic, you know, CD, uh, thing that held your CDs. I'm flipping through it going, what am I going to listen to next? Sure. Um, and so really that, that kind of just started my love for, for, you know, music. And so we did in the sixth grade, I started a really bad band, um, now, were you playing an instrument at this time? I was, yeah. I was playing. I was playing guitar. I, I say playing very loosely. I right. was. I owned a guitar okay. <laughs> that I tried to play, and I mean, I think we learned like four songs, and played our first show in our friend's backyard at his like you know sixth grade graduation party or something, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and it rained as we started, so it nice. was just it was a disaster. But that was my first foray into. Um, you know, performing and, you know, you kind of move on from there and through high school, had a couple different bands and, um, started touring actually at 16. We did our first like summer tour and there used to be this the same band. No, this was a, this this is a different different band. band. It was, I was in a punk band at this point. Okay. Um, as you are when you're 16. (laughs) Right. Of course. (laughs) So, uh, there's, there used to be a music festival called Cornerstone Music Festival. Yeah. If you know it. Um, and it was really cool, man. It was, it was in, um, Bushnell, Illinois. And in the heat, the dead heat of the summer, and you'd go camp for a week, and um, you know all your favorite Christian bands play. Yeah, I mean, it was P- huge. Yeah, yeah. Pod, Five Iron Frenzy. You know all the all the punk bands that I loved. Everybody, everybody was there, and so and it, and it's kind of a cool atmosphere too because like you just hang out with everybody, and so um, you know we went to this we we toured up to this uh, this festival and we hit these little like you know Christian coffee shops on the way, and you know every once in a while we end up playing in this bar and I'm 16 and not even allowed to actually be in there. But we're like, Hey, just don't say anything. We're going to come play this, you know, horrible punk music for you. Um, and then we get to, we get to Cornerstone and it was my first time really seeing like, Oh wow. Like there's a way to do this professionally and make a living doing this. And like they have merch setups and they have, you know, there's all these different key aspects to this. I didn't even know about So anyway, kind of you fast forward from that and we did a couple more tours in the summers and then I went to college 
and continued touring and ended up in this band called Life and Rescue. And that was my first, it was really my first real band that I like really wanted to make things happen mm-hmm. with. Um, the rest of them had, had been really fun and everything, but Life and Rescue was my first, like, this is, this could be it, you know? Um, and we just had a lot of chemistry and we wrote some songs that we loved and, um, yeah, man, we started getting some traction in, in San Antonio at this point. I'd gone to college and started getting some traction there and touring as much as we possibly could. And randomly, we I think I think our bass player met this guy at a coffee shop and somehow started talking to him. And um, we, we had done this little EP and started talking to the guy and he was like, you know, the, the guy that he'd met, his name was Kim Espy. And Kim was from L.A. And... When our bass player started talking to him, Kim was like, yeah, you know, I used to own a record label with Huey Lewis and, um, nice. you know, I'm a publisher and I'm a manager. And I've done all these things. And Daniel was like, my, my bass player was like, hey, I'm in a band. You should hear my music. And the guy was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll take a listen sometime. He's like, well, how about right now? And so yeah. he Initiative. took it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so the guy was like, uh, okay, you know. And so he went out to the car and showed him the music. And the guy was actually like, dude, this is actually like, this is good stuff. He's like, I want you to meet my daughter who's a manager right now. And his daughter was managing like the band Spoon, if you know Spoon is. Mm -hmm. And she'd worked with Jimmy Buffett and Willie, uh, 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 Willie Nelson on his management team. And I think, I think at that time she was managing, um, Joe Perry from, uh, Aerosmith. (laughs) So like, is that the right Perry? Joe Perry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many Perrys, man. Yep. But she was kind of managing him at the time. And so like, man, we're just, we're kids from Texas. Like the fact that she even knew, like, you know, Joe Perry's mom would have been impressive to us, but she's like working with this guy and, and she meets with us and is like, Hey, I want to work with you guys. And we're nice. like, Oh my gosh. Like, okay. And she's like, you know, who are you going to do your next record with? And I was like, I don't know. I was going to produce it in my bedroom. You know? And she's like, no, no, no how much money can you save up? And it was like, well, not much. And, and so, um, I think we were going to do a record and I think we had like three grand, you know what I mean? Yeah. Saved up from years of touring. And she yeah. was like, well, let me make some phone calls and see what I can do. So she, um, she calls a family friend of hers and says, Hey, I've got this band. I'm, I really believe in, could you do something with them on a low budget? And this guy's name was CJ Erickson. And I was kind of a, a nerd. I'd been you know, going to school for recording and like I, I've always loved the sonics of records. I'm, I was the guy that when I got a CD, like the first thing I would do to flip would be to flip to see who recorded it and who, oh, yeah. who played Absolutely. on it, you know? And so I already knew who this guy was. And so when she said, hey, you know, I want you to record with my, with my friend CJ Erickson, I was like, wait, you know CJ Erickson? Like he did Matchbox 20's record, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He did, um, he had just full, produced the Rocket Summers record, which was a band that I was a, a big fan of. And he kind of helped discover Incubus and some of those other bands. And, and uh, man, so we got to go in the studio with CJ. Um, and I'll never forget, while we're in the studio with him, he got a phone call. And he was like, man, I, I got to go take this phone call. And so he walks out and he comes back in. And he kind of looks like visibly shaken up. And we're like, dude, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I just got a, a really big phone call. Um, and we were like, what's up? And he's like, man, I, I can't say right now, but wow. And he was just, you could tell something <laughs> was going on. And so we're like, dude, what, what just happened? Like, you know, did his grandpa die? Did, you know, what, what just happened? And uh, so about a month later, I was, I texted him and I was like, hey man, I want to send you some songs to listen to, see what you think. And it took him like a week to get back with me. And he was like, hey man, so sorry. Um, I'm in London working on U2's record. <laughs> and it was Steve Lillywhite that had called him 
when we were in the studio with him. And, and you know, Steve Lillywhite, has, you know, he's worked with everyone, like legendary producer. And Steve Lillywhite had called him while we were in the studio and asked him to do the U2 record. And so um, now I know why, you know, at this point right. I'm like, oh, that's why you were kind of shaken up. That's, that's a huge phone call. So yeah. anyway, that was just a huge moment for us, getting to work with this, with this guy. Yeah. Well, uh, let's stop. I want to stop just for a second. Yeah. Uh, we'll come right back to that. Yeah. I want to stop. I want to back up just for a minute. Yeah. Um, because your bass player, uh-huh. for our listeners that, you know, because there are people listening that are trying to figure out, how do I reach out to someone? Yeah. You know, how, how do I get my music in front of so-and-so? You yeah. know, a, a publisher or a manager or label or whatever it yeah. is. You know, and, you know, your, your bass player was at a coffee shop. Ran and ran into you know a random stranger, yeah. just some random person, and started talking mm-hmm. and find out that you know that this is a big wig in the industry. This sure. guy's done a ton of stuff. Sure, um, you know, and I mean it'd be great to have him sitting here talking with us just to kind of get his perspective on it. But you know, he had to take the initiative, yeah, to say, you know, because that I mean, I know from experience that can be. A very intimidating absolutely situation yeah. to be in when you realize the person that you're sitting in front of talking to is someone who's high up in the industry right. that you're wanting to be a part of yeah and so how do you approach that person once you know who they are and what they do yeah you know to say i would love to play some music and you know it's like well yeah sure i'll listen to it some sometime i'll check right. it out it's like okay to take the initiative and the gumption to say how about right now yeah you yeah. know it's like that is such an important moment for your band yeah oh absolutely you know because yeah. he he took he took a moment and ran with it sure you know and said hey let's do this right now and you know i think that's such an important thing so i mean if you can even expand on that like what's the importance of that moment yeah you know because of what he did yeah man i mean if you know we wouldn't have had a manager we wouldn't i mean i probably i don't want to say that i wouldn't be living in nashville and signed as interesting but i i don't know that i would honestly that, sure. that set a lot into motion from that moment and um yeah i think there you'll you'll find in in my story and in my philosophy probably through this podcast that like that's a big part of it for me is like don't be scared to ask and i think there's two things that go into that if if you're going to be unafraid to ask for something um number one you have to learn how to do it because you can't be annoying. There, there is a way to be that super annoying guy that everybody starts avoiding because you just ask for too much or you don't know how to ask or, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, what's the, um, Elvis Costello, you know, there's a famous story of Elvis Costello when he went into a record label and he handcuffed himself to the railing and he said, I'm not leaving until you sign a record deal with me. That, you you can only do that once. Like one person's already done that, so nobody else <laughs> gets it. to do that, right? Like <laughs> right. anybody else does that now, you're like, no, that's that's really annoying. Well, back you know, that was shocking. Then they were like, wait, what do we do with this? Oh, he's actually really good. Like normal reality, like you don't do that. <laughs> that's right, annoying, right? Don't do that. But <laughs> but that being said, like don't be afraid to send in a couple of songs to a publisher or ask somebody to listen to a couple of songs. Don't send them fifty, but you know, don't be annoying with it. But it's I'm not going to be offended if somebody sends me songs to listen to. So I think the first step is like, you know, not being afraid and knowing how to do it. The second step is if you're going to send somebody in the industry songs or ask them something, like you have to be super cool when they say no or, hey, I don't like your songs or, hey, these aren't there yet. And so Mm -hmm. um, 
I think the motive behind it is like, obviously our bass player's motive was like, well, Hey, like you do all this stuff, like listen to these songs, see what you like. And, and he, and he did like them, which was good. But if he would have said, Hey man, you know, thanks for listening to this, but these just aren't that good. Like our bass player would have had to been cool being like, sweet man, thanks so much for listening. Or if he would have said, no man, I don't have time to listen to this right now. You know, he would have had to be like, no problem at all. Well, here's the, here's the city, sure. wherever you can. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, there are, we, we see it all the time, people that are just, there's persistence and there's over-persistence. Okay. Persistence, I think, is so key yeah. to attaining, like, any level of success in the music industry. Over-persistence will kill any level of success in the music industry. Yeah. Um, and where is that line? It's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, go ahead. I, I think there's, you're, you, I, no, that's a great question. And I think that part of that line is a natural understanding of how to read people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, if you don't kind of have that natural ability to read people, um, you have to study it a little more, right? And, like, ask your friends that have done it. Listen to podcasts and go, well, how many times can I email them? Um, how many songs should I send? And find somebody that you know that's, that's doing it and say, mm -hmm. hey, let me ask you this. Like, I want to send songs to this publisher how do I do that? Or, or I, I want to do this, you know, I, I, how many songs should I send? And you know, what I tell people is send, send two or three at most and just say, um, you know, Hey, I wanted to send you these. If you get a chance to listen to them, that, that would be amazing, you know, and then don't follow up in two days. They haven't had a chance to listen. Follow up in 10 days maybe. And just say, Hey, just wanted to make sure you got those songs. And then if you don't get a response, that's it for now. You know what I mean? Like, don't keep following up five more times. The chances are they got the songs and the email, and they haven't had a chance to listen. And, and quite frankly, it's probably not high on their radar to do. And so, mm -hmm. persistence is good. Over persistence is like, can be the, the, the killer of that. I yeah. Think. <laughs> uh, one thing that I've actually, that I've learned in the process of sending out emails, either whether it be on, you know, for people to listen to stuff or if it's, I'm trying to book a show or something like that. Yeah. Because especially, you know, venues, they want to hear the music. Yeah. Right. Or they want to see a, a, a website or whatever. And one of the things that I've learned the hard way sometimes is that when you put a link in an email, in the body of an email, the more links you have, the more chances that that email is going to end up in the junk folder mm, yeah, or spam or the spam mm -hmm. folder of who the person is going to, yeah. because it, and it depends on the, the server you're using. If it's, you know, hotmail or Gmail or, you know, or you're going through your website or whatever it is, but some of the, some of the opens like hotmail, cause I use hotmail sure. and I've had it for years. And so I don't yeah. want to get rid of it cause it's just, it's been my right, career right. forever. But when I send emails out through that, a lot of times, if I'm not careful, it will end up going to their junk folder because, yeah. and they don't get it for a long time. And so if, if I follow up with them, you know, a few weeks later on and just say, Hey, just wanted to check and see if you got that email because, it, and I'll, and I'll say in the email, yeah. because it has a couple of links in it, it may have gone to your junk or spam folder. So you yeah. might want to check it just to see. Sure enough, they'll email me back within an hour and say, so sorry it took so long. Oh yeah, by the way, it did. It ended up in yeah. my junk folder. I pulled it out, and so I've got it now. And I checked okay. it out. So yeah. that's just something that yeah, you know, a little tid tidbit of information for people to think about when you're doing that is to be be aware of that when you're putting a ton of links, uh, yeah. you know, in an email. That's that and that it, can happen. And it might be you know I, I found it to be smart to instead of sending a ton of links, like make a playlist and send a link to the playlist. Or sure. Whatever. You know, there's a, a a service we use called uh, Songspace. 
and um, you know you can make a playlist and send a link to the person to listen to, and it, and then it, like Songspace actually sends you an email if they listen, and right. so you know if they've opened that email, you know if they've listened, you know if they've downloaded, and it, yeah. that that can be helpful because you you know you know exactly when they listen, and that gives you time to kind of like give them three or four days to respond, and it's mm-hmm. like well I know they listened. Hey man, just wanted to you know just wanted to see what you thought of those songs. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, there's one called Box.com. Yep. Yeah, Box is Disco a good one. is another Disco, one. Yep. Any yeah. of those types of things because they always want uh, a downloadable streaming link. Yep. yep. Don't ever send <laughs> MP3s to to anybody because it just, yeah, it bogs down know, their emails usually unless, unless you know they're a person that because there are some people that like hey I don't listen to links send me MP3s but you're right like. If they're most requested. People, most people don't. Yeah. yeah. We've all been on the wrong side of that. So. Yeah. So that's just a little tidbit yeah. of information. So anyway, all that was all kind of back, backtracking there, but I wanted to get that in. Yeah. Make sure people kind of have an idea and know, you know, your career launched. Right. Because your bass player took the initiative sure. to say, how about right now? Yep. You know? Yep. So, um, so jumping forward to where you're in the studio and your, your producer is finds out he's working for you two now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, it, it, that, it was crazy. So, you know, honestly, Life and Rescue then kind of went on this um, three or four year journey of touring and putting out a radio single that um, we ended up, you know, we ended up charting on Christian Rock Radio, which, you know, being from Texas, we were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. You know, you find out, rock, Christian Rock Radio now has shrunk so much that it's really not a, a huge player in, in the game. I mean, it's still important, obviously, but it's not a huge... Um, playing the game but for us we were like man you know we saw our name on a billboard chart we were like what in the world is going on this is amazing and so because of that we started getting requests to come play in Nashville and and showcase opportunities here in Nashville and you weren't signed to a label at this point not no we were so you're charting on a billboard as an independent band yeah yeah and it was um yeah this there was a radio promoter that um that believed in us and, and another guy from Nashville that was kind of, kind of helping manage like the Christian part of our careers. Cause we were kind of doing like a, like a switch foot thing. Like we were playing in bars and also playing in churches and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, but this guy just kind of said, man, I think this song needs to be on the radio. And so like he and this radio promoter just got together and figured out a way to do it and just did it for free. And so like wow. they, he started promoting the song and it started climbing up the charts and, um, so yeah, you know, anytime an independent starts getting like billboard traction, like like sharks kind of just start swimming around. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's kind of like they smell blood and they're like, okay, well, hey, what's going on over here? And when one shark comes, more sharks come. That's just how it, how it happens. Sure. And so, um, you know, there was some interest from several different labels and we were playing showcases. And, and I just, I remember coming back from a showcase um, in Nashville and we were driving back to Texas and... I was so excited and I was like, guys, this is it. Like this is this is why we've slept in a van so many nights, you know, out on tour. This is why we've written these songs and practiced in a garage where it's, you know, hundred and twenty degrees <laughs> and this is why we've done this. Like, let's make sure our live show is on point. Like let's make sure everything is super tight. But like, guys, we're we're in the moment right now. This is it. And uh you know, we got home and, and within two weeks, two of the guys called me and said, hey, dude, this is getting too real, man. This isn't what I want to do with my life. Mm. And, you know, honestly, I was completely blindsided by it because I, I had dreamed about this moment for ever. I mean, since yeah. I was in the sixth grade, you know, and, and here it was like getting there, like labels are like looking at us and super interested. And, 
And yeah, it just, it, I didn't know at that point as well, like, so here's some advice. If you're about to get signed and you live somewhere else and two of your people quit in your band, move to Nashville and hire guys. You can do that. I didn't know you could do that. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's good. I thought, oh, my band is over. Like, that's it. We're done. And so when two of the guys quit, we literally, we just quit. Like oh, we goodness. quit the band. And, and I, I could have moved to Nashville kept the name, found new guys here, or just hired out guys, and, and kept going. I just, I didn't know that. And so we just, we literally just quit. And so at that point, I was engaged, and, and um, my wife now was like, hey, when we get married, like, let's just move to Nashville. Like, let's just do it. And and by the way, I'm still super close friends with all those guys that yeah, were yeah. in the band, but it was, a, it was a heartbreak at the sure. time. Um, so we did. We moved to Nashville, and I, I just continued to do the artist thing solo for for a couple of years, and toured a little bit, and um, just nothing really panned out. It really wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, and I started realizing at that point, man, I love to write songs. Like this mm. is what I love to do. I love the creating part of it. And um, so we had been here, and this is kind of where the actual process of getting into the the industry kind of starts. So we had been here uh, about two and a half years, and man. I had heard of these two guys at uh, at Word Record or Word Publishing at this point, the two Chads, everybody called, them. <laughs> and it was Chad Segura and Chad Green, and everybody. Yeah, I know Chad Green. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, and they worked together at this point, like they were, you know, best friends, and they had started this this publishing this thing, and and had a great team of writers, and everybody just talked about the two Chads, and I was like, man, that just sounds like such an awesome place to be. Like, I want to I want to get signed there. Um, so I tried everything I could to get in the door. Like I would try to go right over there. I would try to meet writers over there. And uh, Michael Farron was over there at that point. And we had played a show with Michael's band back in Texas. And, and he was kind of one of the people that said, man, I think you should move to Nashville. Like I think you could, mm-hmm. I think you could do this thing. And so I wrote with him once or twice over there. And it, it, was, it was really funny because I would go, I would write at Word. And like they had these beautiful like writing rooms. I'd never even seen writing rooms, right? Like somebody's bedroom was the writing room growing right. up. But, so I go over there and like they have these awesome writing rooms with like snacks and coffee and all this stuff and like people that walk you back to the writing room and you have to stop and check in with the security guard and it's yeah. this whole thing. And there's albums on the wall yeah, and CDs gold, and things. Yeah, gold records. <laughs> and and uh, so I, I, the first time I wrote over there was with Michael Farron and we had this really cool writer's room with a piano in it and like big windows you know, with a view and all this. And so I go back and I had booked a write with an independent writer and they let us use a, a room at Word and I was like, man, this is going to be great. And like... It take me back to like this old broom closet, like what used to be a broom closet that they were kind of like, hey, we can convert this to a writing room maybe. And there was like a broken piano with like a basket of like old candy bars on the ground. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. I guess we don't get the same treatment as Michael Farron here. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I mean, but it, it, I mean, that's, it, they were very kind to let me write there, but it was kind of like you could tell. I was like, man, I'm not getting a whole lot of traction here. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't, I don't know that, Either of the Chads even knew my name at this point. Sure. But I just kept on going, man, how can I get in there? And it just wasn't working. Um, and so about two and a half years into the process, like, um, I'm just dejected. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, what, do, what am I going to do? Um, and uh, I'm, I remember I was producing this little EP up in my bonus room for some friends. And I think we got done that day at like 2.30 a.m., and I went and, and laid in bed, and I was just like, God, what are, what are you doing? Like, you you told me to come to Nashville. Like, why did you bring me here? Like, if you're just going to bring me here to be sad <laughs> and lonely and, like, 17 hours away from our family and not have any success and, like, barely make it financially, um, 
I'll just go back home. Like, what, what are we doing? And man, you know, I believe clearly that I heard God say, well, why don't you ask me to show up and show you what I can do? And it was kind of a crazy moment for me because I was like, whoa, God, is that you? You know, But I literally felt like I heard him say that. And so I just prayed that night. I was like, all right, God, well, show up and show me what you can do. Um, and so I have to back up actually two months before that. So remember that part of the story. Okay. Two months before that, I had... Um, there was a, there was a band named Down Here, mm-hmm. oh yeah, and Jason Germain yeah. was in that was in that band, and he had kind of become a mentor to me, just like a, a really nice guy that yeah. gave me some advice. Jason's Mark, great. Yeah, he's awesome, and he's Canadian, and yeah. I, we ended up having like my wife had like won these hockey tickets from her work, so we had four hockey t- hockey tickets, and I I called Jason, I was like, dude, you're Canadian, you you probably like hockey. I was like, can I take you to this hockey game and just like talk your ear off and get your advice? And he was like, yeah, man, sure. So we go to this hockey game, and I'm sure he's wanting to watch hockey, and I'm just like blowing him up with questions. <laughs> like, but I was like, man, you know, I've been here for two years. Like, we're getting ready to like move back. Like, I don't know if I can do this. What What do you think I should do? And honestly, he gave me some of the best advice that I've ever gotten, and this will be super valuable. I think he said, um, "Well, first of all, I think you're ready. I think you need to go exploit all of your contacts." He's like, "Who do you know that knows somebody, and who do you know like?" go ask the question like, Hey, can we meet? Can we get coffee? Can we, can we hang out? And, um, I had kind of been waiting for it to happen organically and it wasn't happening. And so he, he gives me that advice, like go do this. And I said, okay, um, how do I do that? And this is the advice that like I've, I've taken forward this. If, if you know, Jason, he's like, yeah. I, I'm pretty convinced he's actually like 150 years old. Like with the <laughs> he's amount a very of old soul. Yeah. yeah. Old soul. But <laughs> looks great for 150. But, <laughs> right. but, um, he said, man, here's the deal. He's like, by the time anybody in the industry gets to lunch, they are three meetings behind. They're running late to the, the meeting already with you. They've already had four meetings. Their, their, their mind is everywhere. Um, and they're going to be running late for their next meeting thinking about that. And they've got 10 million things that they have to do. Like, by the time they get to a lunch meeting, they're fried. He said, take them to breakfast. He said, buy them bacon <laughs> and make sure they have a cup of coffee. He's like, you are going to be the first thing they do in the morning. They're drinking coffee, so they're alert. Like, you are the first thing they can focus on you. Um, and he said, if the meeting goes well, they're going to be thinking about that meeting all day long. Nice. And literally, like, I've carried that forward like into business because yeah. I think it was such great advice. That is great. Um, and and I like to t- I like to take breakfast meetings myself because I'm like hey I'll love have breakfast. coffee like yeah I yeah. love bacon <laughs> yeah and so um, anyway man I so I went home from that hockey game and there was a writer named Aaron Rice uh, that I had a mutual friend with and Aaron had had like some Toby Mac cuts and some pretty big songs and so to me he was this this massive writer that I needed to write with and I I had his email and so I emailed him and said hey man I've got this song um, that I've been working on like can you just listen to it, to it and tell me if you think it's good? And if you like it, I'd love to finish it with you. Um, so I sent that email and then I hit up Chad Segura and Chad had just left word and started his own thing, um, at meld. So, so, so I had Chad, cause when, when we were, you were talking earlier, right. you had not met the two Chads yep. in person yet. Correct. So how did you, how did you have Chad Segura's email to okay, reach yeah. out to him? So he was, I mean, we had lots of mutual friends, right? 
Um, and so I got his email from a mutual. Actually, no, I didn't even get his email. I reached out on Facebook to okay. Chad. To okay. Chad Segura. Gotcha. And then Chad Green. So Chad Green had left and gone to Daywind. Right. And Chad Segura had left and gone to Fairtrade and started his own thing under Fairtrade called Meld Music. And so I just I, I emailed Chad and I said, man, listen, we've got some mutual friends. Um, I know you're a busy guy, but I'd, I'd love to just pick your brain for a few minutes um, if, I, if I can. I said, I'm doing some TV and film stuff. And I know you kind of specialize in that. And and, you know, I've just got some stuff I'd love to talk about if, if you'd be open to it. And, and he said, um, yeah, you know, if you, can be, if you can be in Franklin at the Panera Bread at 7 a.m. <laughs> for um, breakfast. <laughs> for breakfast, I, I can meet you. And, man, we lived in White House at this point. So okay. That's ge- on the, uh, for people right. who don't know, exactly. that's on the north side of Nashville. Geographically, and- it's an hour and a half from Franklin. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay. So I've got to leave at 5.30, but I've got to look cool because it's an industry meeting. So, <laughs> and I've got to go print a CD because it's, you know, what is it, 1997? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I printed a CD with my stuff, left, like, got up at like 4.30, printed a CD, got ready and raced down to Franklin to meet Chad Segura um, and just had a great hang, man. And that's, that's what it was. Like, there, there was no, like, and, and for everybody listening too, like, you're not going to get signed off of your first meeting. Yeah. Like the most important thing you can do in a first meeting is be a good hang for yeah. like 100%. Because if you're a good hang, they will listen to your songs. Yeah. Um, so, and I tell people, artists that I'm working with all the time, like they'll get a label meeting or whatever. And they're like, man, like, what is this? What does this mean? Like, do you think we can have a deal on the table in a, in a month? And I'm like, dude, you're going to have four more of these meetings before there's even thoughts of deals on the table. Like this is a, how do we like this guy? Is he mm-hmm. a good hang? So, Anyway, Chad and I had a great hang, and I was like, man, this is such a cool guy. Um, and I, I gave him my CD, and I was like, man, here you go. Here's, uh, here's my songs. And he was kind of like, okay, thanks. You know? <laughs> and we left, left, went, went our separate ways. Um, so now, now we can fast forward to that, that two months later. I'm okay. up in my bonus room um, producing this EP. We get done at 2.30, and I have that, that moment where I feel like God is like, hey, pray, pray and ask, ask me to do something. Pray and ask if, show me show you what, I can, what I can do. And so I did. I was like, all right, God, show up. Show me what you can do because we're sitting here, you know, in Nashville lonely and, and not doing it. And um, he, uh, the, the next day, this is two months later after all this, I hadn't heard anything back from Aaron Rice. Hadn't heard anything back from Chad Segura. Um, dejected, you know what I mean? I just feel like this is never going to happen. And the next day I'm back in my bonus room producing this this record and and. I got a, a text from Aaron Rice, and he's like, hey, man, give me a call when you get a second. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Okay. So I was like, hey, guys, take five. I'm going to go take this phone call. And so I go downstairs, and I call Aaron, and he says, hey, man, I was, uh, I was looking through some emails and realized that the email that I sent you back never went through. It went to an unsent folder. He's like, I just wanted to read it to you. And he basically just said, hey, uh, heard your song absolutely love it like there's an artist i'm producing right now that this is perfect for oh nice and um like the record was done until we heard this song but we want to finish it with you and put it on the record nice and this was the day after after that prayer that i and so it was blowing my mind then that night i go lead worship at a church and i come home and i get on facebook and have a message from chad segura said hey bro been listening to this stuff nonstop. we need to talk and so the next day this whole thing kind of started fast forward I get a call from Chad Green, the other Chad. I'd yep. been praying for two years to get signed by the Chads. <laughs> and he randomly is like, hey, man, been hearing your name around town. Like, we should, we should grab coffee and, and meet. Um, and the long story short, like, I got offered a deal on the same day by, by both Chads. Like, they each offered me a deal on the same day. And, like, God kind of gave me my pick. And I'd been working with Segura a little bit longer, so I decided to go with Segura. And 
Chad Green and I are still really close friends, but yeah. um, I asked Chad one time, I said, man, why, why did you sign me? Like, I didn't have any cuts. I didn't have anything going on. Like, what made you sign me? And he was like, man, it's kind of a funny story. He said, you gave me that CD that, that day at Panera. He's like, I put it in my car on the way home and I was listening to it. And, um, you know, there's a bunch, he's like song after song. I was like, man, this is, this is not bad. This is pretty good. He said, so I get home, you know, go hang out with the wife or whatever. The next day I go to uh, get in my car and to turn on the radio or whatever. And he's like, my CD changer broke. And the only thing that I could listen to was your CD for like five weeks. And he was nice. like, it literally, I was convinced we were supposed to work together at that nice. point. So like God literally broke his CD player, his CD changer. <laughs> and it, to me, I mean, it really is like, you know, I'm a believer. And, and to me, it really was this, like God asked me to pray and say, mm-hmm. Hey man, what, you know, show me that you're here. Show me what you can do. And literally the next day he was like, all right, you want to see what I can do? I'll break this dude's freaking CD changer to where, to where he has to, you know, work with you or whatever. So that's how I ended up. That's a long, long story. I know that's how I ended up getting uh, my first publishing deal with Chad. So that's to be a staff writer with centricity. That That was the thing with centricity at that moment. Yeah. That was with fair trade and meld. Right. So, So, but you're, you're a staff writer for, for that publishing company. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yep. Um, that's great. Yeah, that's a great story. And that's, hopefully that's encouraging to people to see, you know, it's always different for everybody. It's Absolutely. never going to be the same for, for two people on how they might get signed, whether it be to a publisher or a label or management or whatever it is. But I think that's such an important and great, especially for Jason to say, take them to breakfast. Wow. Yeah. Like I've never even thought, right. I mean, I've had breakfast meetings, right? Obviously. I like going out for lunch. Yep. I so know. I'm I'm always a lunch thing. But that is a great point, though. It's like, man, first thing in the morning, you're the first thing to think of. Yep. And if they start running behind, you're the thing they're going to be thinking of all day long. Absolutely. So that is that is really good. Man, it's been I've, I've literally like I've held on to that for you know yeah. eight years now. So yeah, <laughs> and that's great. And so people need to really pay attention to that little yeah. tidbit there and and implement that into their their strategy as well. Yeah, so that absolutely. that takes people a long way. Yeah. To do that. So, yeah, man. Uh, this is a real quick uh, story by Jason Germain. <laughs> yeah. Because I've known Jason for years. And um, well, I love Jason. And one of the, the, the one story of his, about him that I can, that I always, always tell people that it just blows my mind because he's, he's an amazing oh, piano he's player. Incredible. He's incredible. Incredible piano player. Yeah. And I, I was over, we were, we had written a song together. Yeah. And went over to his studio and he was, um, laying down we're tracking a demo for it okay and he because when you're tracking you're programming drums you know you Mm -hmm. do that on a keyboard yeah right and he is at his keyboard looking down at the keyboard the computer screen is off to the right not even paying attention to the screen yeah has the music playing no i'll take it back he's looking at this at the screen and not the keyboard okay looking you know over this way and the music's playing and he is tracking drums yep. to this keyboard yep. <laughs> like a beast. Yeah. Boom, and like not yeah. even looking at what he's doing on a piano keyboard totally. playing drums and it just blew my mind. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And it didn't miss a beat. It was crazy. Yeah. So that's just a man. He, no, he's, he's an incredible musician all the way around <laughs> and he's, uh, you know, now he's, he's doing mastering. He does mastering. He's a yeah. Killer mastering engineer. You know, if anybody. <laughs> little plug for Jason. Yeah, Everybody yeah. Needs if you need mastering, he is, Jason. Uh, yeah, he's actually going to be on the show at some point. We're just oh, trying, cool. We're trying to figure yeah. out scheduling, but nice, yeah. Man. So anyway, um, so you got signed with Chad. Yep. And now, 
what kind of music are you writing? Are you trying to, is it still CCM Christian music for that? Or cause yeah. I know there's, you're doing, starting to do some TV stuff at right, that point yeah. and different things like that. So I don't, you know, it's funny. I actually don't write a whole lot of CCM anymore. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I do as, as the opportunities present himself or when I feel, you know, led to do that. Um, I've got a lot of friends in that industry. And so yeah. like, I like to keep, I like to keep writing with them, but you know, really I, I focus a lot more on country and on, on TV and film music now. Um, now, is that when you first signed with Chad, though? Uh, no, you know when we when I first signed, we were focusing on on CCM and yeah. TV and film more okay. at that point. So, um, so yeah, it was. And you know, when you're a brand new writer with a uh, with a, a company, the first year or so is literally just like, hey, we are going to put you in the room with everyone, and we're going to find out who you write well with. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I think you have these, and I think it's the same for artists and writers. You you get to this point where you're like. I'm signed. This is it. I made it. Like, yeah. Now I can go get a million cuts, and it's like, well, you're still brand new. Like, we think you're talented, but like, we got to figure out who you do this well with. We got to figure out what you do. In the sure. Room. So let's talk, let's talk about that. What does yeah. it look like? So when you first signed with Chad, okay. So he's with Fair Trade, mm-hmm. which is a label, Christian music label for people who don't know. Yeah. Um, and working with them, and then now he's over here with Centricity yep. Music. So he's the vice president of publishing for Centricity yeah. Music Publishing now. And so you have now moved over here yeah. working with him. So regardless of where it is that you're, who you're writing for, when someone gets signed as a, as a staff writer to a publisher and yeah. you start writing music, because the goal is to write music that's going to get cut and put on albums for other artists. Correct, yeah. Or for yourself if you're an artist slash songwriter, but you, for most staff writers are writing for other people right for other artists uh what would you tell somebody who's trying to get into that like okay you you got the deal you got signed now what yeah right it's not just you're going to just start getting a thousand cuts right yeah you know uh there's a long process and yeah you're going to be in the room with a lot of different people start writing but so what are the what are some pros and cons what are some do's and don'ts yeah uh, things that you would tell people that are first getting their opportunities to do that yeah that's a great question um Man, I think the first thing I would say is just be a sponge, man. There's you're you're going to get put with guys that have been guys and girls that have been doing this for years. And there's you can be a great writer and a horrible co-writer. Um, sure. There are people out there that write unbelievable songs and you put them in a room with two other people and they're just horrible to be around. And they may not even be a bad like some of those are my friends, you know what I mean? Like there, I literally have friends that I love to hang out with that I hate to write with because it's just like, man, we don't get along. Like we don't do this well. We in don't the room think together. the same way right, when it right. comes to writing. Yeah. And, and so I, th- and I think part of that in, the, in a, in a co-write situation, especially is like, man, be open. Like don't hold to anything tightly because you know, we have our preconceived notions of what we think is good. If two other people in the room that are professional writers aren't biting on it, it's probably not as good as you think it is, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean to just, you know, lay back and be like, well, okay, whatever you guys want. But there is a certain amount of like, it's a co-write. Like we are creating something together. And if everybody in the room doesn't like it, um, then move on to something else. And so I think being a sponge, learning how to co-write for that first year is so important. And and maybe you've already co-written a lot. Maybe So maybe you weren't as, you're not as green as I was coming into it. But still, like the, the caliber of writers that you're going to get with is probably going to be better. Um and the opportunities that you're going to get are probably going to be better. So be a sponge in that first first year and, and just 
trust your guys to, you know, trust your publishing team to, to get you in those rooms that they think are going to be valuable. And then also like find your tribe, man. That's the, you know, so many, so many of these hit songwriters, um, if you look at their catalogs of hits, like a lot of them are written with the same people mm-hmm. because they just find people that they write great songs with and they, they keep doing it, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would say is, and have, have your expectations right. Like, yeah, have goals, like say, man, I want to get a couple cuts this year. Like I want to be getting cuts, but also realize like you're not going to go from, you know, Joe Blow to Jason Ingram in the first year. You're just not, like that's just, that's not going to happen. Um, you're not going to be, you know, the next Ashley Gorley in, in two years. Ashley Gorley wasn't Ashley Gorley in two years. You know, it's, right. it, it takes, a, it's a long, slow process as we, as you know, like, especially in Nashville, the music industry just moves slow. So be ready for that. I think is kind of, you know, the advice that I would give. Yeah. What do you think the percentage is of songs written in the first year? I know this is going to be, this is just an arbitrary sure. number that you're going to have to throw out probably. This is your opinion. But, you know, when you sign a deal, usually they want 12 songs. 12 full songs. 12 full songs. If, right. if I'm the, in, the sole writer, I right. own 100% of the song, yeah. then the publisher wants me to write 12 songs a year. So one yeah. song a month right. that I own completely. Yeah. Or if you and I write together, right. then we have to turn in 24, 24 songs. Yep. So you have to double that because we each own half. Right. Or if you write in three, you got to double yeah. it every time. And most rights are threes. So yeah, a lot of three-way usually rights. Usually 36 is the minimum requirement. And Chad will always tell you, Chad Segura, my publisher, will always tell you, hey, that's the minimum requirement. But if you're smart, you'll write way more than that because the more impressions you get, the more you know, chance you have. Right. So what do you think the average number would be for getting actual cuts okay. placed yeah. off of a writer within the first year. Because a lot of people, like you said, you're coming in, you're excited. Yeah. I just got my first publishing deal. I'm just going to write and I'm going to get a bunch of bunch of placements. Sure. And yeah. what's the reality of that? Like, what does that that's really a, look that's like? That's a great question, man. I think, obviously it's different, you know, disclaimer, because there are people that catch fire in their first year. Sure. But, you know, for me, I'm trying to think back. I think I probably wrote, 80 turned in 80 songs or something like that my first year um and i think out of those 80 i think i had like two independent cuts okay and uh you know independent meaning meaning that they were in indie artists they weren't on major label recordings so i I think i think i got a couple of cuts on a on a church record and you know it it was a bigger church yeah. Um, but and a cut's a cut right man and you know you know we sell we celebrate them all like we have to but um, but there is a very real difference between getting a cut on a independent church record and a Mercy Me record or sure. a, you know, whoever. Or you 2 or yeah, whatever. Exactly, Something that's exactly. going to land on a major label that's going to be on the radio all yeah. over the place as a single. Yeah. So, you know, me and a couple other buddies kind of signed at the same time um, for different at, at different places. And I think that was probably about right for them as well. So, man, I would say, you know, that's that's you know, what, 3% or 4, 4% or whatever, that yeah. probably, probably like 6% of my songs ended up getting placed on, on independent records. And I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for those. But the first year, yeah, it's a lot of work for very little return. And you got to remember that if you're getting any kind of draw from a publishing company, like they're doing a lot of work and they've actually got money invested and they're getting very little return. So yeah, like, <laughs> a draw meaning that you're getting basically paid up front right. to do the work. Against royalties for yeah, that, later. 
Right. That may or may not come. <laughs> right. So if you get, if you sign a deal and they decide they're going to pay you a thousand bucks a month, just to throwing out a number, yeah. um, that you're going to have, before you, before you get paid back later on on royalties, they're going to recoup that money sure. to get paid back. And then you start getting paid after that. Yeah. And if that never happens, then they're just out the money. Right. And it just, that's the way it worked. Right. Yep. Um, okay. So once you, now how long have you been with Centricity? Uh, I am almost at my four year mark. Okay. And so in a four years, can you say an estimate of how many songs you've had cut with them? Wow. Um, man, that's a good question. Probably in all, I mean, it's hard to say, it depends on what you look at. Cause I, you know, I've had, I had a decent year in sync last year in TV and film music. Yeah. Um, and the year before that was, was decent as well. Um, as far as like artist cuts, man, that's, that's a good question. I would say if you calculated everything yeah. over the past four years, it, it's probably in the 50 or 60 that's great. range, something like that, you know, cause with, with TV and film placements and I've had, you know, a handful of country cuts and I've had a handful of Christian cuts and, um, you know, at this point too, I'm I'm producing some some records for uh, for independent artists, and and you know I've done some things for you know some signed artists as well. So that those are kind of built-in cuts sometimes as well. So if you count those, maybe sure. more like a hundred in all. But yeah. but you know, yeah, label label cuts slash TV and film probably in the fifty or sixty range. Yeah, because the TV films placements you're getting is going through Centricity, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So because they're doing they do a lot of CCM. Yep. music and some country stuff but they also do a lot of tv sync yeah i would say stuff. their their two main focuses are are uh, tv and film music and, and ccm yeah so. so and that's a great place for you because those right. are your two worlds that yeah you, well that you've lived in that so i have much. yeah now like i said i i mostly do country and tv right. and film now so um we're looking at we're looking at what this next kind of season looks like in that sure trying to find a, a reach yeah that now world. You also have started a company, a production company yes. called Pearl Snap Studios. Yep. Now, what what is that, and then yeah. and why did you start it? How did that be, become yeah. a reality for you? Well, man, you know, when you are getting two cuts a year, <laughs> independent cuts a year, like you're just not making any money. Yeah, you know, and so you've signed this deal, and you're super excited, and you're. And you're zealous, and it's taken up quite a bit of your time, but you're not making any money. I mean, other than your draw, which, you know, there, there's genres of music, pop, and, and sometimes in country where when you get a draw, you can live on it. But CCM music, you really, most people aren't living off of their draws. It's just not a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, so I had to figure out a way that we could stay in Nashville. And it was like, you know, my wife was working um, and doing, you know, she was killing it in what she was doing, but, but still it's like, man... I haven't been bringing in income for the first three years of our marriage. Like, what am I doing? We, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. And so, um, I remember right, right before I got signed, I tried to get like a, you know, a normal job. And man, I applied it like, literally like Pizza Hut and Domino's. And I was like, I can be a delivery driver or whatever. And a couple of restaurants. And literally, no one would hire me. <laughs> and I mean, I tell this story all the time. It was like, I walked into Pizza Hut and and gave them a resume. And there's like like two 16 year olds behind the counter, like texting, but I still didn't get a job. And I was right. like, I'm 25 at this point. I'm like, what in the world? How am I, how can I not get a job here? And uh, again, I think it goes back to God being like, Hey, I didn't bring you here to work at pizza hut. Um, yeah. And some people have to do that. Some sure. people, and, and that is, a lot of people know that's admirable. my story. I delivered pizzas for yeah. years and that's it, dude, it's admirable. Like, and if you can, if you can do that and it keeps you here to do it longer, do that. But yeah. 
for for me, like it, that wasn't a, it wasn't an opportunity. Nobody would hire me, and so literally, I remember I went on Craigslist and I was like, man, I gotta make some money, like, and I just put an ad up on Craigslist, like, hey, I'll uh, make a demo for two hundred bucks of your song or whatever. And I had a little home studio, and I'd been, you know, I'd been to school to learn how to record and that kind of thing, and um, and I remember I got a response, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna make a couple hundred bucks. This is amazing. Um, and then I got like two more responses. And that first week, I think I did like three demos, and I was like, nice. hey, if this this is probably a fluke, but if this continues going, this could actually be something. And the next week, I got like three more. And so after a few weeks, I realized, man, I think this is a business. Like, I think this is something that I can supplement my income with um, in order to write songs. And um, so I implemented some some other marketing strategies and that kind of thing. And, and I started realizing, like, man, I really love helping other songwriters get a product that they're proud of. Like... Because, you know, we all know, like, a, a demo a demo is very important at this point. Like, it didn't used to be that important back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It was kind of like, hey, if you've got a you know, tape recorder and you can record this song, so-and-so might cut it. And now it's like, man, they they need to hear what it's going to sound like finished. And so yeah. um, so I, I found out that I actually, I really loved taking somebody's super raw idea and, and producing it out and making it sound like this great thing and sending it back to them. And then, like, you know... I started getting responses from people talking about how excited they were to hear their song like that. And so, um, so yeah, man, it, it, it was born out of, I've got to make, I've got to make some money. And, um, so now, yeah, we've been doing that now for, I, I think our first year was 2012. So we're going into our eighth year of, mm-hmm. of Pearl Snap Studios. So for a second, yeah. Now you said when you first started, you realized, you know, this might be a thing and then you implemented some marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. So like what, what kind of strategies were you implementing to get, your name out because yeah. you know listen, there are people listening that are trying to start their own production company. They're mm-hmm. wanting to record either demos or or produce for other artists or whatever, right. and they're trying to figure out okay how do I how do I do that and get to a point that people are, will will take notice of what I do. Yeah, and so how was that? How did you implement those marketing strategies to be able to yeah. do that and build build a, a name and a market for yourself? Well, like I said, my the, the first the first thing was Craigslist for me, sure. and I, I don't think that's as much of a springboard as it used to be because it was kind of you know Craigslist was still kind of like frontier at that point, and yeah. so it was new back then, yeah, yeah, and so it was kind of like there was lots of people on it, but there wasn't there was lots of people looking for things on it, but there wasn't a whole lot of people there wasn't as many people like advertising on it, there wasn't as many people like um, offering services on it, mm-hmm. so. I kind of got in a good time with that, but beyond that, man, you know, honestly, the product has to be there. Like, if you are creating a killer product, people are going to talk about it. People are going to show their friends. And let's face it, like songwriters hang out with other songwriters. Like mm-hmm. that's what we do. I mean, even, even me on a weekly basis. Like I have co-writes with two other writers every day, so I may see ten or twelve other songwriters, and um, you know, we're all looking for someone that does great work at an affordable price. And so, like, literally. You know, if I, I can't tell you how many times people are like, "Hey, man, where are you getting your demos from?" I mean, actually, actually, I do them. I have this company or whatever. Um, so, word of mouth, I think, is by far the most important, and and having a great product that people are compelled to. Um, but then, you know, there's there's other ways. If if it's all risk, right? Because we we started advertising on Google and on Facebook, and um, are you paying for advertising? Yes. Yeah, we we were at that point, and so um, yeah, that was a. That was a risk for us because we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we thought that our product was probably compelling enough to, to be worth the, the, the money to advertise. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've 
partnered with some songwriting organizations and that kind of thing. And, and uh, like I, I work with Song You quite a bit, which is a, um, it's a, which is a great resource, honestly, for independent songwriters anyway. Um, but I teach some classes on Song You, and so I'm, I'm kind of able to get in front of some, some independent songwriters that may be looking for demos and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, man, just, I think thinking outside the box too, because like there's the obvious... Like, oh, well, maybe I can spend $2,000 to go get an ad in Songwriter Magazine or whatever. And it's like, well, is that is it smart to do that right now? Or should you start smaller? Because one person, you may only be able to do two or three demos a week. Like, you don't need to reach their, you know, readership of 200,000 people. Like, right. you need to reach five people that will do a demo over the next month <laughs> or, sure. or whatever. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I think that that was kind of our strategy. And it's it seemed to work. <laughs> now, do you have... Um a certain price range that you that you charge now. I mean, obviously you're not doing it for 200 bucks anymore right, because right. this is what you've been doing for 12 years or whatever. Um, or is it eight or 12 years? Eight years. Eight yeah. years. I'm yep. sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but now that you've been doing it for a while yeah. and you've built, you know, you built a good business off of it and a lot of a lot of work from that. What? Uh, and I'm, I'm sh I know it's going to be different for different levels, whether sure. it's an acoustic or full band or whatever. But right. is there like a a general price range for people because we're going to put it in the show notes so people can check out the yeah. your website if they want to come to you sure um they can do that but what's kind of your, your average range for that yeah you know our our most popular demos for uh 3.99 okay. and it's um that's your your standard full demo you know what i mean that's the um that's the one you get if you're like man this this song needs to have production around it it needs to feel like a full demo um, it can't just be a acoustic acoustic vocal. We do we do one instrument demos, which are one ninety nine. Then we have um, three instrument demos, are two ninety nine. And then we have what we call the Nashville package, and uh, that's basically like this. Basically, sounds like a master that <laughs> that we're doing as a demo. Like if you have a song that you think is a hit and it needs to sound like a hit, we're gonna spend extra time mixing that. We're gonna spend we're gonna tune all the vocals. You know, we're gonna make sure the everything's time aligned and, and it sounds like a hit and it's unlimited instruments on that one. And so, uh, that one is five ninety nine, and we've just kind of found that that is where there's a comfortable comfortableness of like, Hey, yeah, I can afford this. And this is about what everybody else is charging, but I think this is a better product. So, right. you know, there are still the old school demo houses in Nashville that you go and like, they spend 15 minutes on your song, but they get these A-list players in, and um, they and they do a great job. Don't yeah. don't hear me saying they don't. It's a different approach, but and, and you may pay a thousand dollars for that. And that was the old norm. It was like, man, if you wanted a d song demoed and you want it to sound good, thousand, twelve hundred bucks a pop. And you know, with home studios and and technology and and uh, software just getting better and better and better, we're just able to do it cheaper at this point, you know, mm -hmm. and, and still make it sound that good. So that's kind of where the the price points are. Are you doing all live instruments or is a lot of it programming? A lot you, of it's programmed. Yeah. Now, um, are you doing it all or do you have, do you bring in players as it well? It depends on the demo. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you know, I'm, I'm a good guitar player. I'm not a great guitar player. Um, I'm, I'm kind of good enough at all the instruments to where, it, you know, if it's a pretty basic song, I can, I can handle it just fine. Um, but if there's somebody that's like, man, I need this crazy guitar solo or I need this or whatever, or it's an instrument that I don't play. Yeah. We hired that out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there's a charge for that if it's like a you know a violin or a fiddle that we don't have on staff. Like we I've, we've got three producers on staff and we play a pretty broad bank of instruments between the three of us. But if it's something that none of us play, we'll hire it out and you know yeah uh, we usually don't take anything off the top from that. It's just like hey whatever they charge us is what we charge <laughs> you. To sure get that, yeah get just kind of tacking on top of that. Yeah man that's cool. 
So what would you say would be, you know, s- some advice that you would give for people, you know, artists trying to get, or, or songwriters trying to get into publishing or someone wanting to start their own production company or whatever, like some do's and don'ts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I think one of, one of the biggest things that's been helpful in, in my career to, to this point, um, and hopefully I can keep saying this in 10 years and 20 years, but man, I'm, I, I've just never been afraid to ask. That's one thing that, that has kind of been central to my career. Um, you know, I wasn't afraid to reach out to Chad Segura and say, hey, can we get breakfast? I wasn't afraid to reach out to Jason Germain and say, hey, will you go to a hockey game and talk to me about this? And, and to Aaron and say, hey, would you listen to this song? And like I said earlier, there's good ways and there's bad ways to do that. But don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I not long ago, I, I emailed a really, really big country producer that had ended up producing a song that I got cut with an artist. Um, and I just knew that he liked the song. And so I was like, well, it's worth a shot emailing him and just seeing if I can meet him. And, uh, you know, if he, got, if he has any artists that he would be willing to put me with. And so I emailed him. And so one of my friends was like, man, are you sure that's a good idea? And here's my philosophy on this. Like, if he doesn't respond, he's probably going to forget my name, right? right? If he does respond, that's amazing. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. But there's almost no one in this world that if you send a respectful, short email to and say, hey man, I know you produced this song. Um, I've got a couple other songs I'd love for you to listen to if you're open to that. Would you mind if I send them? Like, is anybody really going to be that offended that they got that email and go, oh my gosh, Justin Morgan is such a jerk. I'm never going to work with that guy. No. So, <laughs> yeah. so what does it hurt to send that email? Yeah. Now, if I follow it up 10 more times in the next two weeks, that's where it starts hurting. Right. But never be afraid to ask somebody to listen to something. Or it doesn't matter who it is. Like, because you never know. You know, Clive Davis might say yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? He might listen to your song. He yeah, might. It's true. He probably won't, but he might. And yeah. It doesn't or, hurt. Or at least find someone within the company. Right. You know, so that that's something I would say is, yeah, Clive Davis, you know, head of ma- major record labels, yeah. has, you know, Whitney Houston and all these, you know, huge pop artists and things. Yeah, chances are he's not going to listen to it if you email him. But research, and this I always emphasize, you know, do your research. Find who it is inside of a company that works within what it is you're wanting to do. Yeah. Find the production person. Find the publisher in the company or whatever, and then see if you can send that person something. Email that person and just touch base. Or a lot of times what I do, especially when I'm in the TV sync film world stuff, um, when I'm trying to get into like a, either an advertising agency or production, whatever, is I just call or email the receptionist. Yeah. Hey, I'm so-and-so. This is what I'm doing. I'm trying to find out who the person is in charge of this particular thing in your company. Yeah. Can you tell me who that might be? Because a lot of times they don't say it. It's not listed on the website. Sure, sure. You know, so if you can, because lots of, most of the time they'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. this is so-and-so and here's their email. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, and, then you, and then you can... You can reach out to that person. I just spoke with Gail at the front desk. Yeah. You know, and she referred me to you. Yep. You know, so that way, now you've got someone inside the company referring you to someone else. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll talk to them. Yeah. It'll take and, a couple of minutes. And, and man, I think, and, and you, you might be surprised that sometimes, like, when people actually will listen. You know, like I said, I've got, I have song space. And so I've sent songs to massive producers and and A&R people that I didn't think would listen and within 10 minutes they listen and respond. Yeah. And you know to it, this was before I had 
publishing even like, i had no representation in country and i'm sending a country thing and they're like well i'll listen to this song what i am i'm looking for songs for jaco and why shouldn't i listen to this you know mm-hmm. and so and i think that's another key part too like you said do your research and i think there's another way to do your research man if you're going to email an anr person if you're going to email um a publisher if you're going to email a, a producer like try to find out what they're excited about and mm-hmm. try to find out what they're working on. Because right. if you, if they are knees deep in, you know, uh, a Luke Bryan record and you email them about wanting to get a cut with Miranda Lambert and Miranda Lambert just put out a record, like what, what is that going to do for you? Yeah. That's two years away before they yeah. even, so they have no time to even think about that. Like yeah. email them about the Luke Bryan record or email them, whatever, you know, find out who they are working with and who they're excited about. And, and, and honestly, like, if you're going to email a publishing company and say, hey, man, I want to get with some of your writers, realize probably they're going to put you with their new writers to begin with. So maybe find out who those new writers are. Yeah. Well, and, and let's talk about that for a second. Um, so somebody wants to to get signed to a publisher. Yeah. You know, okay, for you, you, you told your story of how you got to know the Chads. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not always the case for everybody sure. else. So if somebody is wanting to reach out to a publisher, how do you suggest someone make contact with the publishing company that they're interested in working with? Like, yeah. How do they approach that company and yeah. introduce themselves? Sure. If, I mean, if you can find a mutual contact, that's going to be the best way. If you have a mutual friend, you can say, hey, man, you know, I'm buddies with Justin Morgan. He, you know, he gave me your name. Uh, you know, I would love to grab coffee sometime or whatever. That's the that's going to be the best way, but the other the other way is you know go on first go on the website and see if their emails on there. A lot of times it is you mm-hmm. know, especially like you know a publisher. A lot of times their email is going to be on on the website, and so go find their email, and then send send them a short respectful email that just says, "Hey man, big fan of what you guys are doing at Centricity. I'm a songwriter. Wanted to know if I could send you a couple of tunes to take a listen to, looking for co-writing opportunities or whatever." And then just wait and, you know, give it, give it six or seven days. And if you don't hear back, respond, like follow up one time, I would say, and say, hey, man, I just want to make sure you got this, um, you know, here's the message below or whatever. And then if you don't hear back, move on, I yeah. think at that point. And maybe tell them, check their junk mail <laughs> just yeah, in case it yeah, went there. Because you know, that's, again, that's absolutely backtracking from earlier, but that's something that happens quite a bit. Yep. You know, and then also going back to, to Pearl Snap Studios, your production company. Yeah. Now, you guys are working with huge record labels. You're working with Sony Music and, you know, all these massive labels. Like, how did you start reaching out to, to those companies, yeah. to the record labels, to become... Because you're doing all these demos for their artists now. So, some of their artists, a lot of their writers. And, and their writers. Uh-huh. So how did you end up getting connected with them and establishing a relationship with these multiple yeah. record labels? To, to Because you're on your website and... You know, Sony Music is scrolling across and right. all these other ones. Like, how did you get sure. get those connections? Yeah, man, a lot of that happened organically. Um, it, it wasn't a whole lot of us pounding the pavement and reaching out to record labels saying, hey, we do demos, you know, can we work for your artists or your, or your writers? A lot of that came from, you know, me writing with one of their writers and then doing the demo to begin with and then them liking the demo and saying, hey, I wrote these other songs with these other writers. Can you start doing those demos? And then slowly meeting some of the artists and... Um, you know, writing with them or or doing demos for them, and then the A and R guy hearing those and going like, "Hey, we really like what this guy does. We've got this song that's just a work tape. Send that. Let's send that over to Pearl Snap and see if they can, uh, you know, make this make this sound like a hit, so that we can see if we want to put it on the record or whatever." 
Um, so yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that happened organically um, with with me meeting people in Nashville, and that's that's one of the beauties of living in Nashville, to be honest. Um, not a discouragement to anybody that doesn't live in Nashville because it can still be done. But if you're really wanting to break into the music industry and you don't live in Nashville, take a trip to Nashville and see who you can meet, see who you can, who you can grab coffee with, because there is something very organic about this town. Um, and so yeah, for us, that that was it. I mean, there, we really didn't reach out to any of the, of the labels and say, hey, can we start doing demos for you guys? It was just word of mouth and them liking what we were doing. And um, Because you're already working with writers within already their working company. Already working with their, yeah, writers and some, and some of their artists. And um, so yeah, that's that was really kind of that, how that kind of happened. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, moral of the story is if you're wanting to be in the music industry and you're wanting to work either to write for a publishing company or you're wanting to be a producer, yep. whether it be demos or masters or just whatever. Um, and you're wanting to, to get in with these places. You have to be here. Now, you know, you have to be in a music city to do that. If you're going to make that traction. Um, now it doesn't mean you can't, you can't do it living outside of, outside of a music city. You know, a lot yeah. of people do. Yeah. Um, it just depends on what your priorities are. Right. You know, and so I kind of have to tell myself to say that quite a bit because there's so much focus on you having to be in Nashville or LA or Chicago or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case. It depends on what it is you're wanting to accomplish. Right. You know, so I think that's another thing is figure out what it is that you want to do yeah. with your career, you know, and if it, you know, you can be an artist anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. Especially, you, especially now. Nowadays. Especially now. Um, you know, we do Christian music a lot. So you and I have both been a part of that. And I'm a worship pastor and you've led yep. worship. Mm -hmm. So you can do that anywhere. Yeah. You know, those types of things. But when it gets to production and wanting to work with, with big artists or signing publishing deals or getting signed to a record label, then you've got to, you have to be in a music city at that point. So yeah. It, it becomes a thing where if you're not, you're just doing three times the work, um, and it and, and things don't happen as organically. You're not going to stumble into an opportunity. Sure. Living in Des Moines, Iowa, probably, and you know, for, for, um, in, in the music industry, you might. I mean, we stumbled into one in Texas. Remember that? Yeah. You know, that that was crazy. But the chances of that happening, that was such a random, weird thing to happen there, and it happens every day here. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, and I think another thing is you know you got to weigh your costs. Like if you have a great job making eighty or ninety thousand dollars a year in Des Moines, Iowa, and you really want to do music, like you probably aren't going to leave that and move to Nashville, and leave that job behind. Like at that point, you start you start wondering, okay, how can I do this until music is making me that much money? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, can I? Can I do this on the weekends? Can I write music on the weekends? Can I fly to Nashville once a month or, or once a quarter and meet people? Um, until I can start making the kind of money that I can move there. Now, mm -hmm. if you're 19 and you just, you know, you just graduated high school and like you're on your first job and like you you can make 12 bucks an hour any in any city, move to Nashville and, and get a waiting job and you never know who you're going to wait tables on and meet and that kind of thing. Yeah, bust your butt and come do it every day. But if you're married and have kids or or you're farther along in your career, like you have to kind of weigh those options and go, can I do music full time right now, or should I stay in my job and stay where I'm at and do it as much as I can by proxy? You know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just to kind of finish up, and so you're married and you have yep. um, two year old. Yeah, I've got a two year old. That's awesome. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, how does how does having a family affect what you do now? Oh man, a lot. I mean, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with a writer, and 
we were both kind of just talking about like, man, can you imagine how effective we could be if we didn't have families? And that's, that's horrible because like it, you'd never trade that for anything. But the reality is, um, I remember being 19 and writing and working until two or 3 a.m. every single day because I loved it and I wanted to spend all my time doing it. I can't do that now, you know? Um, and so you have to, you have to become more- You don't more, want to. Right, and, and you don't want to. Um, you have to become more efficient with your time. And, you know, I think when I first got to town, some of these, these bigger writers that were married and had kids and whatever, like I wanted to write at 6 p.m., start to write at 6 p.m. or And I just, I didn't understand why they wouldn't write with me. And I'm like, man, why am I getting big leagued? Like, why, why won't they take, it's just, a, it's just a write. Like, why can't they give me five hours to, to write a song with me? What in the world? Like, do they think they're that much better or whatever? And it's not that at all. It's that, it's that, you know, we've got to take our kids to, to preschool and we have dinner reservations with our wife and we have all these things. And it's like, we get three to four, well, usually probably two to three writes per week. And those have to be pretty dialed in. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, like if only 10% of the songs you're writing are getting cut, like you have to make sure that you are writing great songs as much as you can. And so you know, finding, finding the, the opportunities that work well with what you're doing, like, man, that's, that's so important. And so it is, it is kind of hard to go, okay, I'm going to give five hours of myself to this and a chance. And because of that, like, I'm writing 30% less with people this week that I know I write well with, you know? And so it is, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a give and take with your time that is, and you, you realize how valuable your time is when you have a family, you know? Mm-hmm. So that does, that does change, but and also trying to figure out ways to how do I support this family if songwriting is not making me a lot of money this month what else what else do we do what other and it, as you talk about on your on your um, podcast man there's there's a lot of different ways to make money in music if you're willing to look for those for those things right um, and you did and you you yeah. were in that situation and you found a way by starting Pearl snap studios yeah. and, and producing for other writers and artists and now you've built a great a great business doing that in addition to getting to write for Centricity yeah. Music Publishing and sure. getting getting cuts yeah. for country and yeah. CCM and for uh, TV and film and yeah. things like that. So you're doing all the things that we're talking about. Sure. You know, it's multiple streams of income that allow us to do this. Yeah. You know, and you're the poster child. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whether, so it's, for doing that. whether it's leading worship or whether it's playing on Broadway or playing, you know, playing guitar on somebody's record or steel guitar on somebody's record, like... There are lots of opportunities here. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of people going after those opportunities. But if you are diligent and you're a good hang, you're going to be able to come make money by working hard in Nashville, mm-hmm. doing music. Um, it may not be the way you want to at, at first, and I think that's there is this balance of going like, man, I really want to be a songwriter, but if I'm doing all these other things, I never get time to write. So there is like, okay, cool. If you're used to living on $40,000 a year, how can you get used to living on $30,000 a year so you can have that extra, you know, 30% of time or what 25% of time to to write songs, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So find a way to 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 sacrifice so that you can take that time to write yeah. songs, you know. Knowing that your goal, one of the goals is that that extra time to write the songs will eventually pay off to yeah. have income coming in and go back to that 40,000 or more right. in time. Yeah. You that's know, the hope. <laughs> that's the hope. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all a gamble and a risk sometimes, Absolutely. but it's, 
it's a fun one. Yeah. And <laughs> you know? man, there are, there are so many people here that don't have deals that are making good money in music. Oh, know? well, I would say most people. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, uh, the number of people that actually have record deals or publishing deals or whatever compared to the amount of people just in, in town itself, Yeah, you know, is a fraction. Sure. You sure. know, but the people that are making a living, yeah, you know, doing doing stuff in music that are not signed to those things, you know, they're out there. Oh it's, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, and those are the people I'm trying to find. And so there's that, and there's a ton of people. Honestly, like, it can be discouraging at times, but there's a lot of people that do have deals that are really, really struggling to survive right now because yeah. they they don't have that mindset of well, I, you know, or they have the mindset of well, I got a deal, like I should be making money. And it's like well. Until you are making money, you got to find another way to make money. You know, right. so yeah, because just signing a deal doesn't automatically make you absolutely rich and absolutely. famous. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely right. at least not like it used to. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know I, I I write with a lot of guys that are you know in their fifties and sixties that kind of went through the age of the late eighties and the nineties when man you could make a hundred thousand dollars a year by getting four album cuts on a big country record. You mm -hmm. know, and so and now four album cuts on a big country record is going to make you. 2500 bucks you know or, or whatever that is and so dude don't say that it, <laughs> it's just it's a totally different game on mechanical royalty side oh, and no. so you know i i was talking with a buddy yesterday that my, my buddy don poitras is an unbelievable country writer and he wrote the song a little more country than that mm -hmm. and uh, you remain by willie nelson and, and had a bunch of big country songs and i was telling him yesterday i was like man you know there's part of me that wishes i would have been around for that and and could have lived through that like golden era of music where it's like songwriters are making a lot of money. And there's part of me that's really glad I didn't because that's never coming back the way it was. Sure. And I'm not jaded by that because I right. didn't live through it. Yeah. And he's, man, he is one of those guys that he has been so good at rolling with the punches. He's like, Hey, you know what? We don't live in that world anymore. And you know, Spotify has, has been pretty hard on songwriters. So what do we, what can we do to focus on making Spotify better for songwriters? And instead of going like, griping and moaning about how it's never going to be like it was well you're right it's it's not ever going to be like it was so how do we learn to make what it is going to be better you know sure and, um so i yeah that's, that's good that's a side thing but <laughs> yeah no that's great yeah because that's a huge gripe that that songwriters have yeah we because hear of that. over and over and it, and it is true and it, it's hard but it's not gonna it's it's not just gonna go away yeah so. it is the reality that we live in now and so how do we move forward with that and do it in a positive way. Yep. Sure. And, and a lot of these, you know, a lot of these quote unquote negative things also have buried positive things underneath them that if you can go mine the gold out of it, you can, they can actually be lucrative. Like, you know, well, well how, you know, YouTube and, and Spotify and these places, they're taking money from songwriters. Okay. Well, how do you go, how do you go make money off of that? Like, what are, what are some ways that you can look? And one of those, like go own some content then, you know what I mean? Like if you are a, producer start producing songs with your friends and put them up on spotify one of them may catch fire and you might start making money off because you get a lot more money from the master than you do the publishing on that you know yeah. so there are different ways to, to capitalize on it you just have to be smart and stay positive <laughs> sure well that's a good place to end so stay smart and stay positive and um dude thank you so much for your time man thanks for having me i this appreciate your blast. your willingness to come on and share your story and yeah. all of your expertise and Hopefully people will take what we've talked about and implement it and put it into their careers and, yeah. you know, can go make a living on it. Yeah, absolutely, so, man. Have a great day. All right, you too, man. Thank you guys so much for joining us again today. What an amazing conversation with Justin Morgan. I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff 
in this industry and is being very successful and making a name for himself. He's creating opportunities for himself. And so that's what you guys are doing. You know, you're listening to this program, trying to figure out ways to improve your career and to take the next steps. And so this is a guy who has done that. He's found ways to create a place for him in this industry. And that's been through getting a publishing deal. Part of that has been through starting his own recording studio um, and creating work that way. And so, you know, I know you can get discouraged a lot of times not knowing what to do. And this is just another way of showing you that there are multiple ways to do to do this for a living. And so I'm excited that he's able to share with you guys today. So I hope you're taking this to heart, putting it into practice into your life and into your career. And remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.